Hello and welcome back to another episode of We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. I am Trev and this is part two of our 2021 films review episode, which will continue shortly. But before we start, I would love to hear from you if you have any film recommendations or films that you've watched that you would like us to discuss, then please email us at wnmovietalk at gmail.com or contact us via Facebook at facebook.com forward slash we need to talk about movies podcast we would love to hear from you anyway without further ado let's continue with our 2021 film review i watched at the cinema as well i took the kids to watch a couple of the you know family kid films we've watched adam's family too yeah it's all right i quite enjoyed the original one a lot more you know the the animated versions yeah i thought the original was great Really well but this done. one, not so much. It's the Adams Family go on holiday. Not as funny, but the kids liked it. They've both been to watch it twice. And so they quite happily sit through these films again and again, which is it's who it's aimed at, isn't it? So I don't feel yeah. sometimes right to slag off these films or whatever. But I will slag off um, <laughs> two do. films which I really really didn't like one was peter rabbit too well that's your fault for going to watch it well we went with the kids again yeah i didn't mind the first peter rabbit but this one really just went too far i think peter rabbit got mixed up with a load of crook rabbits in london <laughs> and uh oh, it's Jason just... yeah it yeah. could have been yeah. um but god i just Oh, he just aggravates me, old uh, James Corden. I just... Yeah. <laughs> enough's no enough. Um, and then another film that I watched... Oh, I didn't watch it. The wife and the kids had it on. I was packing my bags. What, to leave? To leave. I was going camping for the weekend. We was going up the Lake District. And they was watching <laughs> oh, the was new... was that bad a film? You're like, wait, I'm not watching this, I'm leaving. They was, watching, they was watching the new Cinderella, which is an Amazon Prime version of Cinderella. I think it's see this is your, this is the thing isn't it having a you having a young daughter I don't and so therefore these sorts of films she's like... not interested in films like this it's Donna <laughs> Elise would not watch that if she had to choose she does not like princesses and things Donna's always trying to make her watch stuff you will but this, you will like these films uh, but this was just yeah no she's not interested she, but yeah I could hear it on and I was just like, this is really irritating me. It's again, it's the musical where it's all modern music, but it's all like done in oh, a cool stylish way. And it's like old classic songs and they're doing like a medley and everyone's singing it in different bits. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> really irritating. And then you've got James Corden. All I can hear is James fucking Corden all the way through it. And he's like one of the mice or something who turns into like the horse that carries her carriage. And it's like, why is he still fucking talking? And I found this a lot this year. The kids would put on a cartoon and we'd all be sat there and like be the emoji movie they stuck on. And I was just in the room doing my own thing. And they put that on. I had to leave because it's James Corden again. (laughs) He's over everything. He's done I've some films, hasn't he, eh? James Corden, oh, the emoji movie and Cinderella 2. No, but it's like every other, fi- you know, it does. <laughs> they must have watched about seven films this year, animated films, and he's there doing the same tired act of just overacting. It's wrong. Yeah. I did like that 
you know, he'd done, not that I watched Friends or anything, but I saw that he'd done the Friends reunion. And when they was discussing the the Harry Potter reunion, apparently they there was a massive petition went around from all the fans put together, do not let James Corden be involved in this in any way. Yeah, because he'd have to sing. And I just thought, oh, good, fuck him. Get rid of him. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. No, I... Um... Like I said, thankfully, I don't, you know, even my wife doesn't hate me that much to make me watch a Cinderella movie. <laughs> but I actually, I was watching a lot of, I've watched about six versions of A Christmas Carol over Christmas. Yes, yeah. And I was thinking, is this the most... The film with the most remakes. Yeah, is this the film that's been made the most? And I googled it, and no, it's Cinderella has been made more than any other film. Because it's such, it's a classic story. So, there you go. It's a fairy tale, isn't it? Um, yeah, so I think we're kind of we're kind of getting to the point. We t- we spoke briefly um, before, didn't we, about Justice League, the Zack Snyder thing? Because again, that was twenty twenty one. Oh, the new that thing. Came out yeah, early yeah. Doors. Um, and there was uh, also the Sandra Bullock film um, Unforgiven, where she's a cri- she comes out of jail after killing a police officer, right? And, so, and tries to kind of blend back into society. And, obviously struggles because no one will forgive someone who's killed a police officer. But as the story unravels, um, unravels, um, <laughs> as the story goes on, um, you, you begin to understand why that happened. And it's, it's, it was quite a nice, quite a good little story, quite a good little story with Sandra Bullock. In. Um, and it's interesting to see her in a, in a role where they've made her look rough as hell. Yeah. She did look rough. And, um, you know, cause most of her films, like, uh, even, um, was it Miss Congeniality? Was that her? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it could have been. Yeah. So it's always her and Julia yeah. Roberts, I sort of confused. Yeah, it's Miss Congeniality. Yeah. So even films like Miss Congeniality, where, you know, she there's a bit where she's a cop, so she looks like, she's like not woman, you know, she has not makeup on and stuff. She hasn't sort of doled herself up. Um, she still looks attractive then, but actually in this one, she just looked rough as hell. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's, that's what she looks like in the morning. I always find um, Charlize Theron is never afraid to sort of, really make herself yeah disappears into the characters doesn't she yeah yeah and i thought so i thought that was um it was a good film actually because sandra bullock's films that i've seen her in uh, have often been things like miss congeniality where they're quite light and i was thinking oh god where's this one going uh but actually it was good um so that's one uh potentially to watch the unforgivable and then one more that I think is worth mentioning, but I don't know if it actually qualifies as a film, but then I think it does because it was made by Peter Jackson. Oh, the Beatles. the Beatles. Thing. Yeah. Get back. Um, because that's classic Peter Jackson because he turned it into a trilogy. And each one's like three hours long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really long. Two, yeah. But um, I thought that was fantastic. I watched that and was blown away by it in some aspects. I've watched I've watched the first twenty minutes of that. I need to get back on it, but yeah, I've heard. It's There's good. a bit in the um, midway through. I don't know. I think it's the first one where basically the gist of it is they've got to come up with a number of songs to make this album or do this live performance or whatever it is they're deciding to do, but they can't come up with. But Beatles had kind of burnt out by then. They didn't want to do live performances anymore, live concerts. They'd done everything that they needed to do as a band. And they were kind of just looking still. And so you get to see this really interesting dynamic between Paul McCartney and John Lennon, George Harrison. Yeah. Ringo Starr, I think, would just go along with anything. He just sort of sits there going, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You know, he's just like, if the band was still going, he'd be the, he'd be like, yeah, that's fine. No problem. He's Whereas the percussion. The he keeps Paul it McC- going, doesn't he? 
Yeah, <laughs> Paul McCartney had the Paul. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Paul McCartney had the. Um, you could see he was really starting to become something more than the Beatles, and he was controlling a lot of what was happening. Um, and there's a bit in, but there's a bit in it when it, he's sitting there with George Harrison and Ringo Starr, and they're just sitting there watching him. And he's just got a guitar and he's trying to come up with a song, and he's just sitting there. And then all of a sudden it kicks in and it becomes Get Back. Oh, and you yeah. see it you see it manifest. It's mind-blowing oh, to think that, you know, that's the guy that made that song. And that was the moment he made it. And there it was. He was just sitting there twanging away for a minute. And then this song appears. And so there's little moments like that in it. And what, the other thing that's really interesting is the whole John Lennon aspect with Paul McCartney. That you can see their relationship because it's just so natural they're so easy together and they mess around when they're messing around it's just like you can see that they've been friends for years and they've got a really you know they're real true friendship and it comes out really well and the thing about Yoko Ono where everybody said oh she split the Beatles up she just sits there she doesn't do anything she's not dictating or trying to take over or have an opinion on everything no. she literally just sits there with them so I really don't think that was necessarily such a big deal yeah i don't know that it was i think it was more a case of john lennon was getting bigger george harrison didn't get to have his say very often and he was getting very he had a lot of work that he wanted to produce and i think in the end they just yeah they just just had a time was away yeah naturally just pulled away but the documentary um when you think it's you know it's been sat around for years and nobody's seen any of it and then it's being cut together and brought back for people to see because you see a lot of this now don't you bands producing stuff and documented along the way yeah but that that was before any of this is you know no one else had ever done that before in that way you know it was it was raw stuff they weren't playing up to the cameras they were just being themselves they didn't know what was going to happen with any of it they were just documenting it and and actually it pans out to be a really interesting six hours of your life yeah (laughs) (laughs) for the first part (laughs) Um, I watched something similar at the cinema I went to a multiplex as well to watch uh, The Doors live at the bowl and that was that was brilliant I really enjoyed that Um, and what I found interesting watching that was obviously you know Jim Jim Morrison's like the, the sort of spaced out front man yeah but the rest of the band I mean the drummer is amazing in the doors and you really see him throwing himself at it on this stage for because uh, the live at the bowl was like one of their most famous concerts wasn't it was it 1968 I think it came out Go on. the drummer is um, John Densmore and he he was a jazz drummer anyway and he I always think the doors one of my favorite bands probably if you ask me if I'd who I preferred at the Beatles and the Doors, I'd go the Doors yeah. personally myself. I've always listened to them more. Um, but John Densmore, the drummer, they're very much a jazz band. They sort of play off each other and they'll lead and yeah. sort of go off in tangents. But I never really thought about it. There's only the four of them. You've got uh, Robbie Krieger on lead guitar. Jim Morrison doesn't play an instrument. He's just the vocals and the poet. Yes. Um Densmore on the drums, Ray Manzarek plays the organ, which is like a classic Doors sounding organ, isn't it? You know, when you think of the Doors, you think of the organ. But he also plays, he's got the two keyboards and he's playing the bass line as well. And I I don't know why I never thought Mm. that was his job, because you just think of basses coming from the guitar. And he's playing 
the bass on the top keyboard whilst going off yeah. on the bottom keyboard. And it's just amazing to watch them doing it. And you just think, my God, these are just a league of their own. And this would have been in a time where they didn't have the same technology as you've got today, where you can loop and play eight track and, oh, exactly. you know, reproduce. You know, they wouldn't have had that stuff then, would they? This would have been as it was, pretty much raw, especially with yeah. them playing live. Yeah. Um, it was great. I, I mean, to be honest, I'm the same. I, I'm very much into the Doors. I like the Doors. I liked um, LA Woman. I think it's just awesome. Uh, that's my go-to track when I want to just sort of put one on in the kitchen whilst I'm washing up or something, blast it out. Yeah, well, it's my go-to album. It's great. It's one of my favourite albums ever. I'm the same with the Beatles. I never really got the Beatles. Um, but this, I think this documentary actually just brought them a little bit more. Yeah. I wouldn't say I never got them. I mean, I, I understand where they've come from. Uh, uh, there's a lot of their songs you do know and you love. Oh, totally, yeah. But I've never really gotten... One way or the other, people say Rolling Stones or the Beatles. There's some Rolling Stones songs I love. There's some Beatles songs I love, but yeah. I'm not yeah. all out for either of them. Um, but what I will say is, as well, people always say, oh, John Lennon's like the talented one in the Beatles. and it, mm. But then you think, well, they, him and Paul McCartney both went off, had solo careers. Yeah. How many Paul McCartney solo songs do you know? And how many John Lennon solo songs do you know? You know, you, well, I, to be fair, I quite like John Lennon, so I've, I, I do know quite a few. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> but, I mean, having uh, not followed either of them, I'd recognise more Paul McCartney songs than I would a John Lennon. Yes, I'd be able to name yeah. more Paul McCartney in the Wings, say. Yes, yeah. Than I would John Lennon. Yeah, no, agreed. And I, but that's what I meant by I think in the documentary you can see that Paul McCartney is becoming more. Paul McCartney yeah. is going to. He started to kind of dictate uh, it, it, you could see him coming across that he was dictating more John Lennon was falling back a little bit more and I think early Beatles I may be wrong but uh, you get the impression that John Lennon was the older guy it was his band leading it and yeah, he yeah. led them into a lot of songs but as they changed and developed Paul McCartney started to come through and I think when it came came away Paul McCartney just carried on didn't he his trajectory I think was higher but John no, Lennon I'm, was very incredibly popular in, in America wasn't he and, you know, that's obviously why he ended up over there, a big part of it. Yeah. And and also you have to remember that he did try and do some music with Yoko Ono. And if you've ever heard Yoko Ono sing, <laughs> it's not singing. Actually, Ghost, have you got a cat? No. I was going to say, if you've got a cat, go stand on its tail. <laughs> that's Yoko Ono. <laughs> no, but it is interesting. It definitely broadens your understanding of who the Beatles were. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So if you if you fancy that... You've got six hours to spare. What was it? What's been your worst films you've watched this year, Rob? Any that you think oh, that was awful? I wouldn't oh, want to watch that ever again. Do you know, I I got halfway through Godzilla versus Kong, yeah, and just I couldn't watch any more. I I was done with it. I just, you know, there's the whole thing with the boat. They're fighting on a boat, and Godzilla apparently's you know swimming through the water, and he's got that. He's got like um, nuclear laser breath, hasn't he, Godzilla? Right, but when he's fighting King Kong in the water, which is his his advantage because King Kong's not a water dweller, um, he he lets him go and he doesn't laser him, you know. And I'm thinking you could have killed him then. This film's over. <laughs> I don't. I didn't get into that film at all. So that one for me was a was a no. I went to watch a film at the cinema called Malignant. Yeah, which is a horror film directed by James Wan. Yeah, he'd done the Saw films, which I still haven't seen, but obviously they've got quite a reputation. 
and and then he's done like Insidious and The Conjuring and films like that, which I thought were quite effective. But again, they get sort of ridiculous towards the end. These films, you know, yeah. I like this the thought of a horror. I want to be scared. I want to be sort of taken through these disturbed motions when I go and watch a film, and they never do it. They always start off intriguing and spine tingling, and in the end, they're just absurd, yeah, and ridiculous. Yeah, they just hold, don't hold it together, do they? And all these people who loved The Conjuring and Annabelle and all these films, when James Wan bought this Malignant out, I was reading all these reviews saying, oh, it was just too off the wall. It was too bizarre. It didn't make sense. There was too much he was trying to work out. And I was like, it sounded really intriguing. And I was like, do you know what? That sounds like it could be better than the others. So I went to the cinema to watch it. And it starts off in a mental asylum or like some sort of institute. And there's some beast thing going on. But I was watching the <laughs> beginning of this film and I was like, oh, I know what this is. This is a film within a film. Right. Because what you're watching is so cheesy and so corny and so crap that you think <laughs> this can't be the film. In a minute, it's going to pan away and someone's watching this on the telly. Someone's going to wake up and it was all a dream. But it doesn't. <laughs> like, and in this like flashbacky bit at the beginning, you see this little girl... Uh, in the hospital and there's something not right about her and then it, it goes forward to 20 years and then you meet this woman and you're like instantly go oh so that's her 20 years later because why else would you be watching this woman and having seen that but then the rest of the film is all about you learning that this girl is that woman and you're like but you know that why would it be <laughs> anyone else there's no one else it could be and it's like Every time they give another clue, you're like, well, I fucking know that. Because <laughs> some films can do that within, like, two shots, can't they? Yeah. You know, the, the kid's sitting there, like, with his, puts his glasses on, and then it, it pans to an adult. Taking like, them off, yeah. Holding their glasses or taking their glasses off. You go, oh, that's the same person. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, d- you don't need an entire film to revisit that. <laughs> that's the thing. And they're, like, they're working out this mystery, who this killer, this mysterious killer is. And this girl's... The woman is being haunted by this demon sort of thing. And you think, well, it's got to be something to do with her. And yeah, every time they're working things out, you're like, it's not going anywhere. But then it goes towards the end. I almost got up and left. and I didn't. And then it went from being this horror film with no surprises and just so many generic sort of oh, you know when you're going to jump now, uh, you know, um, to becoming I'm like... going over to this dark room to open this cupboard door. Yeah, and then at, at the end, it was like a, you were watching The Matrix. It was like this action film with this woman in a black gown, like black trench coat. And it's like, what the fuck am I watching? She's doing like kung fu. And it's like, <laughs> this film does not know what it's going to be. That Love for it. me was my worst moment, I think. Um that and Peter Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a funny one. You, you sort of caught me out on that one a bit. I was just trying to think of a, of a worse film. I was just going through. I think there's one, um, Thunder Force. Right. Thunder Force. Oh, my God. And it was... It's, <laughs> so that was a Netflix Melissa film. Melissa McCarthy. Yes. Oh, God. And it was painful. It looks painful. I don't, how did you even come to watch this? <laughs> How did you well, look that, at this? That would be a wife. That would be a wife choice. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
you know, um, normally what? Because normally I get a heads up, and whenever anyone in the house, which is normally my wife or Sophie, pick a Melissa McCarthy film, I go, "Oh, um, I need to scrub the dishes again." <laughs> yeah, I'll be in the other <laughs> you know, house. Disappear. <laughs> oh, I need to. Yes, I need to go paint the outside <laughs> of the garden. I need to go paint the lawn. Um, and so this this one was um, it was painful. It was meant to be funny, but it wasn't. Mm. I might be wrong. Some people might say it was their favourite film of all time. However, nobody did mention it, did they? When we asked, well, Metacritic give it thirty four percent. Rotten Tomatoes is twenty one, and IMDb is four point four. So, yeah, all around. I think I'm onto something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fun, Thunder Force. Yeah, it was a shocker. Um, it could have been a good film, I guess, but it wasn't. <laughs> it, just looking at the image, it looks shit. In a world, it, the, the thing says, in a world where supervillains are commonplace, two estranged childhood best friends reunite after one devises a treatment that gives them powers to protect their city. Let's leave it there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so a- anyone that's looking for something to do for a couple of hours, go and hammer a nail into your foot rather than watch this film. <laughs> Um, it's yeah. Another film I didn't really think much of was another horror film, which they released on Netflix as a trilogy. It was called Fear Street. Right. No. And there's Fear Street. Like one was like modern day, and then it goes to 1984, and then it goes to 1666 or something. Oh. And we watched the first episode of that. The first, and it was trying to be Stranger Things. It's trying to be Halloween. Yeah. Um. And it misses. Uh, is it it as well, where they jump from like story place to story? Oh place? yeah, it's it, it, exactly. And it missed the mark on all of them. It's so predictable and so naff that I didn't even watch the other two. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, that it was a shame. Netflix films. I hadn't really watched a great deal of Netflix films. Only like recently, I watched mm. The War Below, which is quite a good film all about the the First World War after the battle of the somme when so many people was sort of slaughtered oh, it's the, is it the, no go on uh, yeah. they bring in some miners to mine yeah, underneath yeah yeah and that was it was all right it was good it's a good story could have been better could have been a bit more exciting but as far as true stories about the war go it was a it was a good one um but then we watched the other night don't look up have you watched that yet i was going to say are there any films that you haven't seen yet you want to? Because that would be on my list. Yeah, that's. Yeah. That, I mean, that's um, Leonardo DiCaprio. It's got quite a good cast, actually, isn't it? It has got a good cast. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah. That's one that the critics have sort of said isn't as good as the audiences make out. Whereas, you know, a lot of people mm. are watching it and coming out going, I really enjoyed it. And I thought it was good. Um, it was, but that's what I was saying earlier about the, the the whole critic scores on these things versus the audience scores. I often relate a lot more to the audience score than I do the critic score. Yeah, because the critics are looking at it from a slightly pretentious way at times, or they may have even been paid <laughs> to look at it a certain way. You know, there was a bit of a confusion in the film, like because it's a satire. Right. Sometimes it goes too far, and you think. It's almost got into, not fast, but it's almost slapstick in how far it's gone in satire, you know? Yeah. There's a fine line with comedy, and this one sort of, sometimes it's like, nah, that's too much, it missed the point. And then other times it's good, or sometimes Mm. it's not enough. 
it wasn't a consistently great film, but there was some really good bits in it and a, and a good concept. Is it, is it set up to be a comedy? It is a comedy, yeah. It is a comedy, right, okay. Because I couldn't work out from the trailer whether it was meant to be a serious film that had funny elements in it or whether it was a, a straight-off comedy. So. No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, I quite liked the... Oh, what's the chap called? Who he was in Ready Player One, isn't he? He plays the he plays the creator of the virtual world, doesn't he? Mark Rylance, right? And he plays a similar character in this. He's like the tech giant, and I thought his character is really good. Jonah Hill, his character's it's all right, but it gets a bit silly. And what it reminded me of a bit was Mars Attacks. Okay, yeah, yeah. How you know when the aliens are coming and the president and that is like looking at it from how it does that, you know, how they could look better dealing with it. Yeah. You know, they're not looking at it as a like, Oh shit, the world's going to die. We need to sort something out. It's all to do with how it makes the government look. Yeah. You know, very similar to that. Meryl Streep was great in it. Um, Kate Blanchett was great in it as the, uh, like the newscaster in it. Yeah, it's definitely. But one. yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, I just think he's good. Is he good? Because he's normally good. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say. And he plays it down. He's not like the. He's not like a star. He's a bit of a nerdy bloke, and he's got his. Yeah. Because again, like he, he's at his best to me when he's playing a character that's got all these neuroses. And well, I mean, if you go, if you think about that character he plays in Django. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. I yes, think as the yeah, star yes, in that, it, yeah, that was he, very good too. You know, he should have got the award for that. Yeah, I think rather than Brad Pitt just played it cool and Brad Pitt was just Brad Pitt, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. No, I quite enjoyed Don't Look Up. Okay, but there's three films I've watched at the cinema. Um, one I kept seeing the trailer of, and it looked really intriguing to me. Was House of Gucci which was... Okay, um, never heard of that. <laughs> it's the story of the Gucci family. Yeah. It's Adam Driver plays Maurizio Gucci, who sort of gets left the empire. But basically, Lady Gaga plays his wife, Patricia, and she sort of marries into the family. And then through her meddling, she sort of pulls the family apart and helps Maurizio sort of get claim to the gucci name the gucci brand okay you know all the high high top end clothing and it's all about her their story it's a true story obviously the trailer looked quite good i really kept every time i watched it i was more intrigued to watch it and i thought it was really good jared leto's in it he's in a fat suit but plays like the cousin he's an outcast in the family he plays al pacino's son and i just thought they were all good it was a bit of a gossipy sort of melodrama but i i really enjoyed it and again adam driver i just think is fantastic lady mm. gaga i thought was really good in it well and she although, was good in that sorry she was good in the other film uh what's the film she was in star was born oh yeah yeah she was, she was good in that yeah has she, has she been in i didn't like that but... film though <laughs> Uh, I just thought Bradley Cooper was fucking awful in that. It just annoyed well, yeah. his I voice. Mean, and like, oh, look, she's asleep on the bed. I'll go and fuck her while she's sleeping. It's like, hang on a minute. You know? And then she wakes up, like, oh, how romantic. It wasn't quite Chris Christopherson or whatever he's called, was it? <laughs> isn't that like the fourth the end, time like, that keep... story's been made, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah. But, um, anyway, but let's not go on about that film. <laughs> yeah, J- Jared Leto, he got a bit of sl- a bit of uh, a beating in the press for his role in this film. Whereas I thought, okay, he was good as a sort of comic relief in it. I thought it worked, and you couldn't tell it was him. I, I yeah, I thought it was a fairly decent film. Um, another one I watched was Last Night in Soho. Heard about that? I've, I've seen that was one of the films that kept cropping up when you go down the list of the best films of the year. Yeah. Um, that kept that kept appearing up on the list as well, but no, I, I haven't come across because Ed- Edgar Wright, you know Edgar Wright, yeah, the director, um, best known for like the Cornetto trilogy with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, um, Shaun of the Dead. I thought and... you were going to say the Cornetto adverts. I was saying no, he wasn't. No, no, the Cornetto the trilogy Cornetto. they called it, didn't they? Uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, yeah, yeah, and yeah the World's End. Um, and Baby yeah, Driver, he Baby done. Driver, yeah, because it's very much into the music timing thing, isn't he? In yeah. Films. Well, this yeah. is this was one of those films. It's it stars um, Thomas and Mackenzie, who was in Jojo Rabbit, yeah, and Anna, Anya Taylor Joy, who if you've seen the Queen's Gambit, she's quite a big thing at the moment but she's got this real strange look about her but mesmerizing beautiful but strange and he this tomlinson mckenzie plays a girl who's from the southwest she's from cornwall but her accent doesn't get as far down as bristol they never do do they no they never do (laughs) never get any further than bristol um and she goes to london to study to become a fashion designer and she doesn't fit in with the girls at the university. So she rents a room off of Diana Rigg. And it's a really intriguing film because I didn't quite know what to make of it. The fact that I was watching it on Halloween at the cinema should have been a giveaway. It's, it goes into sort of horror, but the way it gets there, it's really intriguing. And she sort of visits this room and then she sort of has flashbacks of this other girl Anya Taylor-Joy back in the 60s in London, the swinging 60s. And it sort of discovered the, the seedier side of London in the 60s. Um, Matt Smith is there and he's quite good in the role as like the real villain of the piece. Mm. And it's it was really good, really stylish. And I think the twist at the end was good, but it sort of ate itself up at the end. It got a bit too... The ending for me just sort of let the film down a little bit. But the rest of it, yeah, I was really, I thought that was really good. That's the sort of film that um, I, I can sort of propose to my wife to watch. To Claire. Yeah. I can say, you know, let's watch this one. <laughs> let's give this a try. You know, it's a it, sort of a genre bending movie. Yeah, yeah, a bit of everything. It sounds like we could both sit and enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, I thought I, I thought it was really good. Looked really stylish and some really good effects in it. Quite effective. How he, you know, and stylish. He's got. He's definitely got a good a visual style to his films. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, though, going back to go back go back to that comment there I just said about I could sit and what I could watch that with my wife. That's not actually accurate. What I should say <laughs> is I could watch it while she sleeps through most of the film because that's what she does. When we put films on. <laughs> and then she gets she wakes up and goes, "Was that good?" <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> um. I've pretty much got through everything on my list. I have too. Uh, I will mention that Timothy Timothy Chamelay is a name I'd never heard of until I watched him in Dune. Yeah. The next film I went to watch was The French Dispatch, which was the new Wes Anderson film, and he's in that. 
And then I watched that Don't Look Up, and he's in that as well. So I think he's another name that's going to become really big. Okay. So he's starting to come out now as obviously he's going to turn up in a lot of films. Yeah, and I think he has been in a few, I, you know, a lot of films. I think the only film we haven't mentioned, which um, somebody earlier on mentioned when they commented on the films, was um, Red Notice. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think it was Rob, wasn't it, who mentioned Red Notice. I think that's the only film that I've got still on my list that I haven't crossed off. Oh, right. Um, that we mentioned. and um, I've not seen it. We did see that it was one that the kids might enjoy. Uh, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's Ryan... It's Ryan Reynolds again, yeah, and The Rock, and of course Wonder Woman, oh, right. whose real name is is not Wonder Woman, but that's how I know her as Wonder Woman. That's a dirty word in my house, Wonder Woman. I'm not allowed to mention Wonder Woman because when I do mention Wonder Woman, my son says, "Mom, he's banging on about Wonder Woman again." <laughs> so, I'm not allowed to talk about Wonder Woman. Uh, I get in trouble for it. But um, Gal Gadot, oh yeah, Gadot, Gadot, how do you say that? Goodo. Goodo. Gal Goodo. Yeah, and um, I think Ryan Reynolds and The Rock play good characters in it. She's okay too, but um, it's those two aren't that are, the, that are sort of spinning yeah. off each other. Ryan Reynolds, very quick-witted as he is, and then The Rock playing the hard man is not, you know, not impressed with any of it. There's a, there's a little twist at the end of the film, which is good, but I won't <laughs> spoil you, it. You're better than me. Yeah, because you never know. Someone <laughs> might want to watch it still. Is it worth a watch? That depends. I think if you like Ryan Reynolds and The Rock or Gal Gadot, then yes, it probably is worth watching because it's not pain. It's not that bad, but it's middle of the range. Yeah, so that's Red Notice. It's not a bad film. It's not a bad film. Yeah, it's one we keep meaning to watch with the kids. We will watch it. Yeah, yeah um, it's harmless. And I think the last film I've got on my list is French Dispatch, right? Which was the new Wes Anderson film. It's an anthology film. It's like several different stories which usually sort of I find a bit hard to watch, a bit dull. But this was a real pleasure because I went to the cinema. When was this? October this came out. And bearing in mind, I've been to the cinema since March numerous times. The busiest was No Time to Die. Other than that, I was ever, only ever in the cinema with like three or four other people. Really? Okay. And then I went to watch a French dispatch thinking, oh, I'm going to be the only one in here. And there was, I was, it was actually quite, packed auditorium and i was like wow that took me by surprise that a lot of people had come to watch wes anderson's you film. often see certain films they've got a certain age range haven't they of people sat around you yeah well this was a variety there was okay. some sort of older people there were some younger people people my age which is sort of in the middle of young old, and old. old people again. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite interesting to see but it was quite pleasing and everyone seemed to really enjoy it but I think Wes Anderson, you either like his stuff or you don't, I think. And I've just always been a big fan since the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in A Life Aquatic with Steve Sazu, just one of my all-time favourite films. Yeah. Uh, and this was great. This is about Bill Murray is um, the editor and creator of the French Dispatch, which is a, a, a magazine or a newspaper. And at the beginning, you hear that he's died and it's on his will. It says when I die, there will be one last edition of the newspaper. Um, and then it's everyone's story, what they're putting in. Yeah. So you see all the different journalists, which, I mean, the cast is absolutely amazing. Well, I was going to say, every, you know, you, you already you've mentioned Bill Murray, which which peaks, you know, which gets my interest. 
and uh, Wes Anderson as well. So, you know, I'm already thinking that, but now I'm just looking at the cast. It is a pretty good cast anyway, isn't it? So they've really got to hold their own there. Exactly. And then, like, the, 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 the different journalists are writing their pieces, and then that's what each section of the film is. You're watching their story. Yeah. So the main ones are Francis McDormand writes a piece in there, Owen Wilson. Yeah. And Jeffrey Wright actually, to me, stole the show. I think he was fantastic in it as a writer who's really like real linguist, you know, and mm-hmm. it was just really great. But the, the stories are typical Wes Anderson stories yeah. with really crazy characters. There's a touch of animation in there as well. Sounds um, good. Sounds good. Yeah, just really interesting. And it's even though, you know, now Wes Anderson has made a name for himself, so he gets his films made. And you're just sort of glad when you're watching something like this after the last lot of films you've been to watch have been blockbusters. All the trailers are for blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. You think, thank God for people like Wes Anderson still carving their yeah, own. Yeah, you're desperate for something else, aren't you? And it was a real, yeah, it was real interesting. Brilliant. Oh, there is one more film. I didn't see it on the cinema, but I streamed it. it was The Many Saints of Newark, which is the Sopranos spin-off. It's like a prequel to The Sopranos. Um Okay. It was all right, but I just didn't see the point of it. It didn't set the Sopranos up. It just was it a cin- was it a cinematic film? Were you went to see it at the cinema? You could have gone to see it at the cinema, but I saw it. It was on the cinema. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the sort of film you'd bother putting on the cinema. To be fair, no. It's a- <laughs> if, it's a, if it's a lead up to the Sopranos, you know, you'd think it's more of a TV thing. But James Gandolfini plays Tony Soprano in the Sopranos. Yeah, and they've cast James Gandolfini's son. Okay. To play the young Tony Soprano, so I was quite interested to see it. But it's sort of more about the uncle who, you know, in the the series. I don't know if you watched The Sopranos. I loved it. Um, Christopher is James Gandolfini's nephew, right? But it's it's more about Christopher's dad and how he has an influence on James Gandolfini. Okay, but it seemed very. It was good sort of telling the story or you know the what new york was like at that time and mm-hmm. the sort of the things going on in the news but just did seem very sort of pointless you got to the end and you're like that didn't need to be said it hasn't set anything up it hasn't i don't Are see they, the point <laughs> were they setting it up then for uh, perhaps its own sort of spin-off show that's what i wonder whether there's going to be a spin-off series from it yeah don't know because yeah just going through the cast and whatnot as i am as we speak um it looks very tv series cast yeah it looks more like a tv series cast than it does a movie cast <laughs> well, well ray liotta's in there i think he plays two characters in it as well i can't quite remember but yeah it wasn't it it wasn't nothing special to be honest it wasn't as good as the sopranos it was nothing no he's nothing so that was my 20 20- 21 yeah it's pretty much mine too <laughs> well no it wasn't the same was it and uh yeah we talked for we've nearly been, two hours again i was gonna say we've been waffling <laughs> we've been waffling it's, it's just the reason i like this so much is because i know that i don't have to do the washing up <laughs> if i'm up here talking to you um that's the only reason i enjoy this and that's the only reason i stay on for two hours talking film you have a dishwasher don't you yeah it's called robin <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, we do. No, um, no, I, I, it's, it's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, it's a good old chinwag, isn't it? It was, it was light when we started. Now it's dark outside. What the? I know. Yeah, proper dark. What the hey? No, I'm glad, Robin. Thanks ever so much again for joining me. Pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening. If you have listened, if you haven't, I'm 
you wouldn't have heard me say that. But if you have, you would have. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you. That's good fun. Cool. And uh, we'll see you all again very soon for some more We Need to Talk About Movies podcast. Chase. Chase.